In 2014, a 4 a.m. SWAT raid on a home in San Gabriel resulted in one officer's death and one civilian's incarceration. The critical moments in the operation occurred in a matter of seconds. But the story of the case spans decades, from a contentious relationship between the ATF and a motorcycle club that dates back to the 70s to an explosive murder trial in 2019. From Crime Story Media and E1 Entertainment, this is Night Raid. I'm your host, Molly Miller, and each week we're going to unpack aspects of that story using interviews, testimony reenactments, and jailhouse and police recordings. When you're informed that, hey, there's a possibility that happened by your son, that's going to upset you. I understand that, sir. I really do. But the bullet come from outside, not from inside. How do you know that? Stick around for the first installment of Night Raid after this. Hey, before we begin, please note that this episode contains graphic descriptions and dramatic reenactments that some may find disturbing. Interviews in this episode, conducted by myself and by police, may be edited for clarity. In all instances, we seek to maintain the integrity of the speaker's original meaning. Thanks for listening. In 2014, David Martinez lived with six of his family members in a two-bedroom home in San Gabriel, California. David was 36, physically fit, about six feet tall, with close-cropped black hair and faded tattoos on his arms. He made a modest living working for Western exterminators. And in his free time, he worked on his Harley-Davidson and played with his kids. The Martinez family resided on a charming blue-collar street. If you walked down it, You'd see small houses with well-kept lawns, a few decorative windmills. Almost every house had an animal figurine perched in a flower bed, a ladybug or a frog or a goose. On a typical day, a passerby might hear birds chirping and wind chimes, mixed with the occasional lawnmower or teenager practicing the drums. A typical night was quiet. But October 28, 2014, wasn't a typical night. Coming out. Here are the undisputed facts. The SWAT raid on the Martinez home lasted less than 60 seconds. In those seconds, Officer Sean Diamond was fatally shot in the neck. David's father was shot in the arm. And David's life was changed forever. This is a story about a man who is either guilty or not guilty of murdering a police officer. 
And this is a story about time. The days it takes to plan a SWAT raid. The seconds it takes to break through a door. The years it takes for a man to move through the criminal legal process. If you talk to anyone personally involved in this case, they all have the same question. Why did this happen? For some, that means why did an officer die in the line of duty? To others, that means why did this SWAT raid happen at all? These questions can seem beyond our comprehension, like a natural disaster. But in this podcast, we're going to try to answer the why in as much detail as possible. That's not to say it's going to be easy, in part because even the basic facts, the events that transpired during the SWAT raid, they're murky. The sound effects that you heard at the beginning of this episode were dramatic recreations based on our research and the testimony of witnesses. There are, in fact, no recordings of the incident in this case. No security footage. No body cameras. No way to know for certain what happened in those critical moments. To gather an impression of events, we have to stumble over every bit of evidence. Inhale every detail. Grasp at every word. We need to listen to the creaks of moments and motives, the groan of the present and the past. We have to learn to see in the dark. I'm Molly Miller, and this is Night Raid. If you sneak inside my room I know where my dad keeps the pistol I know where my dad keeps the pistol We all know there are two sides to every story. But in this story, there are two sides to a single door. It's the wooden front door of the Martinez residence. Inside the door was David Martinez's family, his parents, his sister, his common-law wife, and his kids. Outside the door, there was a 17-man SWAT team with an armored bearcat, a battering ram, and military assault rifles. We're going to start outside the door. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? I lateraled to Pomona based on their reputation. I'd worked for some other officers that are here that that told me a lot about this agency and the success they were having with their experience coming over, and it it really felt like a, a good fit for me. And it's a really, really good environment to work in. That's Sean Diamond, the officer who was fatally shot during the SWAT raid on the Martinez home. The clip is from an episode of Cops called Stupid Behavior. It aired in February of 2008. On camera, Sean has deep-set eyes and an athletic frame. He sports a buzz cut. A bristly blonde mustache sits on his upper lip. In the episode, Sean pursues a stolen van that speeds into an intersection and T-bones a taxi. It's a messy scene. The van flips over. The taxi bends around a traffic light post like putty. Fortunately, no one is seriously wounded. When I spoke to Sean's mother, Joy Diamond, we talked about the cops episode. 
I told her that Sean seemed calm and collected, even in the middle of chaos. Yeah, he is, was. That's who he was. Although I really hated the mustache. They didn't last long. <laughs> we all yelled and screamed, no, get off. The, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But he had to try it, you know. Sean started his career in the LAPD, but according to his mom, he didn't like the interpersonal politics of the big city department. Pomona was smaller, more focused on the community, which suited him. By 2014, Sean had 16 years of experience in law enforcement, and he was a proud member of the Pomona SWAT team. When he told me he was joining SWAT, I wasn't pleased, but all I could say, congratulations. And it was his dream. Um, I, I need to get a cigarette because I can't smoke and cry at the same time. SWAT at Pomona was a part-time job filled by officers who had other full-time positions at the station. To make the team, you had to pass tests and do specialized training. It was a big deal, something a lot of officers aspired to. Sean Diamond's best friend, Corporal Rick Aguiar, was also on the SWAT roster. At the time, they had worked at Pomona PD together for eight years. After the raid on the Martinez home, Rick was interviewed by detectives from the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. All right, uh, Rick, if you could just tell me uh, what happened tonight and how you got started on this uh, search warrant. For the past couple of weeks, we got a couple of emails saying uh, any spot warrant. We didn't really give any information. It's for us. Be in the SWAT office, zero one thirty for SWAT briefing. So you just get a call. Be there. Yeah, be there. And I show up. Officer Aguiar explained to the detectives that the SWAT team convened for a pre-operation briefing in the early hours of October twenty-eight, 1.30 a.m. The officers gathered around a whiteboard at the Pomona SWAT facility, and team lead Corporal Scott Hess wrote out each man's assignment in uniform print. Corporal Hess and Officer Diamond had scouted the Martinez home a few days before, Based on their findings and the information in the warrant, Corporal Hess informed the officers that the operation was classified as high risk and instructed the team to use a forced entry if the residents did not comply with the officers' demands to open the door. We will examine the warrant and the decision to use a forced entry in a later episode. What were you briefed about the suspect? What kind of... uh... If you didn't catch it, Scott just told the detective, quote, we did a Mongols warrant a couple years ago, end quote. Scott's referring to the Mongols Motorcycle Club an organization of leather-clad riders based in East Los Angeles. Well, where these people are, you know, traffic out, weapons, traffic, narcotics, uh, things of that nature. You knew this was a war based on the Mongol activity? Yes. Okay, correct. Right. While the word Mongol can be an offensive, derogatory term, in this context it refers to the actual Mongol Empire led by Genghis Khan. According to the official Mongols Motorcycle Club website, they named themselves after the Mongols because, quote, they were fearless warriors on horseback, end quote. 
We'll hear more about the Mongols Motorcycle Club later. For now, you just need to know that state and federal law enforcement officials regard them as a violent criminal organization with a long history in the illegal drug trade, money laundering, robbery, firearms violation, assault, and murder. David Martinez was a Mongol, which meant that from the perspective of the SWAT team leaders, he was a dangerous gang member, hence the high risk. To prepare for the potentially dangerous operation, Officer Hess took his fellow operatives out to a large grass range behind the SWAT office and set up traffic cones representing the Martinez home. The officer's feet pounded the ground, executing practice runs of their roles for maximum efficiency. Sean Diamond and Rick Aguiar were assigned to the entry team, specifically as breachers. If the people inside the house didn't respond to the officers' announcements, then it was Sean and Rick's job to break through the metal security door using a heavy tool called a punch pole. When the movements were drilled into their bones, the squad loaded into the Bearcat, a steel-armored vehicle designed to provide protection from bullets and explosions. And then they headed to a country club. The San Gabriel Country Club boasts an elegant tree-lined golf course surrounded by the San Gabriel Mountains. It also has a large parking lot that makes it a perfect pre-staging location for a SWAT raid. 2.30 a.m. In the parking lot, the Pomona SWAT operatives met up with a few detectives from the Montebello Police Department who were there to provide backup along with paramedics from the Special Enforcement Bureau, or SEB, who were there to give medical aid in the event of a civilian or officer injury. Then Corporal Scott Hess and Officer Sean Diamond left the rest of the SWAT team and drove to the Martinez home in an unmarked black Tahoe to scout the location before the operation went down. Again, This is Corporal Hess talking to detectives in the hours after the raid. Why don't you tell me what you saw when you did that drive-by? Sure. Uh, I saw, uh, I think, at least three vehicles in the driveway. Mm -hmm. Um, One being a truck, uh, another being a black car, and I don't recall the other vehicle. Um, In addition to that, I saw uh, various lights on inside the residence uh, to the porch light. Three cars in the driveway and lights on, some inside and one by the porch door. That meant that there were likely at least three adults in the home. These factors concerned Corporal Hess and Officer Diamond. More people inside created more risk. But despite those risks, Corporal Hess decided to proceed with the operation. Hess and Diamond returned to the golf course and debriefed their team. They geared up, put on Kevlar helmets, bulletproof vests, loaded their assault rifles and submachine gun, and filed into the armored Bearcat. Then they rolled out, followed by an armored ambulance and several other unmarked cars. To be clear... All of this military-grade equipment is normal for high-risk SWAT operations. 
even operations that take place in quaint working-class neighborhoods. 3.55 a.m. The Pomona SWAT operatives parked a few houses away from the Martinez home. Thirteen men dismounted from their vehicles and walked to the location. Montebello police officers, San Gabriel police officers, and Seb paramedics also took their backup positions. Everyone tried to stay quiet to avoid alerting the residents. We uh, exited around the corner, I forgot the name of the street, and we dismounted from the vehicle. Uh, walked this about three houses and we walked through the darkness. We saw some lights on. Uh, we had flights on inside the inside the house location. Sorry, no location sir. Okay. They took their positions. Four men stood at the property's perimeter. Another four men were stationed at the gate that led to the backyard, and five men readied themselves at the front door, including Rick Aguiar and Sean Diamond. Everyone looked to team lead Scott Hess to give orders. 4 a.m. Corporal Hess gave the signal. Announcements began. The following is a reenactment. The gate team began ramming the gate. Meanwhile, at the entry, Rick pierced the metal security door with a pointed hammer, and then he and Sean latched the heavy punch pole onto the metal webbing. They pulled the mechanism's pin and were about to snap the door's deadbolt when Rick heard the doorknob of the inner wooden door jiggling. According to Rick, it was too late to stop. The deadbolt broke, the wooden door opened. Sean Diamond collapsed. Rick explained the next few moments in detail when he was interviewed by detectives. A pop, a loud pop. Officer Aguiar heard a pop, a loud pop. He falls over, and I was pretty much, oh shit. I saw the smoke, and I got hit with uh, something in the arm with stuck. Officer Diamond fell to the ground. Rick saw smoke, and something hit his arm. It stung. At that point, Rick had to make a decision. He could either assist his best friend, Officer Diamond, who was limp on the pavement, or keep doing his job. I went through, I grabbed, I think it was seven seconds, let's do it, let's go. It was right to do what we do. Rick turned to the SWAT operative nearest to him, grabbed him by the vest, and said, let's do it, let's go. And then they entered the home. It was chaotic in there, I was speeding and yelling. That's when we went in, I had some ties in my pocket, I said, tied the suspect. The shotgun was probably, let's say, three feet from him, off to the left. You could see them. I could see it, yeah. Got you under control. The suspect with the shotgun beside him was David Martinez. Officer Aguiar then explained to detectives what he did next to try to secure the scene. I'm telling people, get him out, get this person out. Right. And there was a younger girl by Dallas, a couple kids. Uh, a female there, an older male, Hispanic gentleman had a mustache. He's holding his arm and screaming. Who put out on the radio that there was a man down? And I had no idea. The officer who alerted the medic to Sean Diamond's injuries was team lead Corporal Scott Hess. Uh, I hear a large bang, and uh, immediately following the sound, 
uh, Sean, I'm standing right next to Sean, and he falls to my feet. Uh, as he falls to my feet, um, I see a tremendous amount of blood um, pouring out of the concrete. Um, I initially grab Sean by the vest, and I probably only drag him a short distance, but two feet, uh, before I stop, get on the radio. Uh, I requested the SCP medics. SWAT paramedic Jim Moss heard the call for a medic and ran to assist the fallen officer. He helped Corporal Hess drag Sean Diamond away from the porch toward the armored ambulance. Moss later testified in court about the emergency medical care he gave to Officer Diamond. The following is his testimony, as portrayed by an actor. He had a massive bleed in his mouth and uh, airway that was bleeding profusely. I got his helmet off. I got his goggles off. We rolled him over to the left lateral position to try to, like, have some gravity, you know, help assist in keeping that airway open. And then the guys were looking at me and said, what do you want to do? Moss testified that he told his partner to check Officer Diamond's body for other sources of bleeding. Then they loaded Sean into the armored ambulance and headed to Huntington Memorial Hospital. Once the ambulance was moving, Moss further inspected Officer Diamond's injuries. Sean had a large amount of trauma to his airway, and it was, it was, it was just, his airway was just destroyed. The trauma was, the trauma was indescribable. I, I don't know how to describe it. I tried my best to to recognize any type of anatomy in that airway and was unable to. When Officer Diamond lost his radial pulse, Moss and his partner switched off giving Officer Diamond chest compressions to help his heart continue to function. I said, keep working. Just keep working. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. We're not giving up. Keep working. When they arrived at the hospital, they were met by medical staff. I continued chest compressions along the pathway all the way into the emergency room. When he got into the trauma bay, the ER staff, you know, 20 people jumped in and started their treatments. At some point, somebody took over compressions and I, I backed off and let them do their job. The morning Sean was shot, Joy got a call from her granddaughter, Margot. Uh, Margot called me at 5 a.m. and said, Daddy's been shot. I don't know if she knew he was dead. So I called his godmother, Susie. Oh, Lord. And she says, a cop's going to be there in 10 minutes. So I had to jump up and I put on a shirt. I wanted to show Sean that I had just been to the Cher concert. That's Cher, as in the pop icon. Joy thought the concert t-shirt might make Sean smile. And um, this very nice detective picked me up, and I'm chattering away because it never occurred to me that Sean could be dead. And when I got to the hospital, I stood at the door looking at my son on life support, and although it was incomprehensible. Joy's friend Susie stood beside her. 
And Susie looked at me and she said, Jay, he's gone. I don't remember a whole bunch. I remember sitting there staring at him and then getting up and wiping the blood off his face. I'm an ordained minister and I couldn't remember a prayer. And so in his ear, I thank the son, the son, that I thank him his whole life. You are my sunshine. So if you, and you don't have to answer this, but um, if you could speak to David Martinez, what would you say to him? You killed my baby. Um, and I've tried to forgive you, but I can't. In the hours that followed the deadly incident, a simple narrative coalesced among law enforcement officials. They concluded that none of the officers had discharged their weapons, and that it was David Martinez who had shot his father in the arm and Sean Diamond in the neck. But they didn't just think David Martinez pulled the trigger. They were certain he did it with intent. That he fired because he was a member of the Mongols motorcycle gang, and the Mongols hated the cops. They believed he saw an opportunity to murder an officer and deliberately took his shot. But some of that narrative didn't quite fit, especially considering what Rick Aguiar told detectives he heard inside the Martinez home. Did you hear the suspect say anything while you were inside the house? Yes. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't know your cops. Um, I thought you were the Mongols. I had issues with the Mongols. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were the cops. I thought you were the Mongols. I have issues with the Mongols. Now it's time to tell the narrative from the perspective of the people inside the door on the night of the raid. This is the part of the story where I introduce you to David Martinez. Ideally, I'd interview him, but that's not going to happen right now. As of this recording, David is incarcerated and has upcoming legal proceedings, so his lawyer doesn't want him to speak with reporters, which is normal. We'll unpack David's legal situation in depth in later episodes. It's a saga that's lasted over seven years, and it isn't over yet. Fortunately, I was able to speak to David's younger sister, Cindy. Cindy wasn't a witness to the SWAT operation, but she has a great deal of information about how David and his family reacted after the raid on their home. Cindy didn't want to do a recorded interview, but she did agree to send me answers to my questions in writing, and she said I could have an actor read them. That's what you're about to hear. My brother is my best friend. He's always there for a shoulder to cry on or to lean on for advice. He has an honest perspective. His laughter and unconditional love is something I cherish about him. As a child, He was active in sports like 
baseball and taekwondo. I look up to my brother then, as I do now, and I always admired his ability to figure out technology as in those times it quickly advanced from cassettes to CDs and MP3 players. Most important part is he always included me in playing games of any sort. He's someone I can grab a cup of coffee with and chat or go hiking. Someone I could call on on a drop of a dime and he always made time for me. My favorite memories are simple. Just being together. We can barbecue or make some ceviche. Family gatherings are not the same without him. Now letters take time or coordinating when he will call next to catch up. There's a disconnect. But our bond is strong. We feel the love. There are times I randomly catch myself hearing his laughter through my own and I break down and I cry, knowing how much I love my brother and how much I appreciate and miss him. For the Martinez family, the evening of the SWAT raid, that night that changed everything, started out like a regular Tuesday night. David's common-law wife, Sandra, watched TV with the kids and helped with homework. This is Sandra speaking to LASD detectives Frederick Morse and Jeff Cochran in the hours after the raid. We'll take your statement and uh, okay. get you on your way. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't get your... You are Sandra? Sandra. Hi. Christine Roman. Hi. Jean. My hands are a little sticky. I was eating orange. Oh. All right. Um, how long have you been... Are you... What do you describe? How do you... How would you characterize or describe your relationship with uh, David Martins. David. A boyfriend and girlfriend. You guys are boyfriend and girlfriend? Not yeah. married, but... What's that? Not married, but we've been together since we were 15. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. All right. And you have children together? Yes, two. A one-year-old and a 10-year-old. Sandra and David aren't married, but they've been together for more than 25 years. They started dating in their freshman year of high school. Back in 2014, their son, David Jr., was in fifth grade. Their daughter, Alyssa, was just a baby. 10 p.m. While Sandra put the kids to bed, David and his parents, Arturo and Guadalupe, walked a few blocks away to the laundromat Guadalupe managed. It's a typical laundromat. The smell of detergent wafts in the air as industrial washers and dryers whir away. Coin banks jangle. And a television mounted on the wall plays reruns of gossipy talk shows. The clientele is representative of San Gabriel itself, which is about 60% Asian American, largely Chinese and Filipino, 25% Latinx, and 10% white. Arturo and Guadalupe are originally from Mexico, but they immigrated to California before David was born. Arturo is short but sturdy, an even-keeled handyman comfortable in any hardware store. His wife Guadalupe is even smaller in stature, but her presence is big. She's the mama bear of the Martinez family, working long hours to provide home-cooked meals and financial support for her household. In 2014, David worked a full-time job for Western Exterminators, but he still made time to lend a hand at the laundromat. That night, David helped his parents tidy up the place. He wiped down the machines, mopped the floors, 
and then he walked them home. Back at the house, Guadalupe took a shower, and Arturo checked the doors to make sure they were locked. The family's sleeping situation was cramped. A rat terrier and a Dutch shepherd nodded off in the backyard, and two chihuahuas napped in the laundry room. It seemed like a normal Monday night for the Martinez family. But in a few hours, their lives would change forever. Approximately 11 p.m., David's sister Brenda rested on a pull-out couch in the living room. Brenda has Down syndrome and doesn't like to sleep alone, so Arturo and Guadalupe settled on the floor beside her, bundled in blankets. Then there was a small bedroom, which belonged to David Jr., and the slightly larger bedroom where David and Sandra slept, next to baby Alyssa in her crib. This is Sandra again, speaking to detectives. Tell me, in your words, what happened last early this morning. 3.30 a.m. Um, I was asleep. I woke up, and David was in the, another small room in the, in the house, which is like an office, you can call it. And I went over there, and I, I just told him, are you going to go to sleep yet? And, you know, it's already late. Come to bed. And, yeah, yeah, I'll go right now. Just, you know, I'm doing something. Okay, whatever. Went back to bed. Um, then he came in, I would say maybe a little after that. He changed, he had some other shorts on and he changed into some more comfortable shorts. So I said, okay, good, he's, you know, he's gonna go to sleep, he's gonna come to bed. And then you just hear the dogs barking and didn't think nothing of it. Just said, oh, stop barking. So I'm laying down, I'm, you know, on my stomach laying down and this dog just starts going wild, and I just hear David run out the room, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? It's just the dog's barking. And then I hear this pounding and this boom, and just pounding and pounding, so I get up, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? I don't hear nothing, and I just hear David, dad, dad, that's my dad, what are you doing, officer? It's 4 a.m., In the living room, David's parents awake to the jarring noise. This is Guadalupe, David's mother, speaking to LASD detectives Jeff Cochran and Frederick Morse in the hours after the night raid. Did something happen that you, were you awake or were you awoken to something? Okay, let me explain. Um, So I was sleeping, my husband too, around two or three o'clock in the morning. So I hear my dogs parking real loud. And then I I hear the door to somebody was kicking the door real loud and say, open the door. But I say, who is it? You know, I, 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 I not realized it was the police. So when they say, open the door, it's the police. And then... So they said, open the door, police. Yes, yes. And then I tried to open the door and my husband... He pulled me the clothes and he tried, he went to open the door. So he pulled you away from the yes, door. Yes, yes. And when he when he get the 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 door the the, the things for the door to open, mm-hmm. the police shoot the door with a bazooka. I don't know the big rifle. And I hear the explosion real loud, real awful. And I see one the police or the the soldiers 
felt on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I scared. What happens that, uh, right after that? I, my husband started screaming to get a shot in the arm. You said he got shot in the arm. Yeah. According to Guadalupe, the police shot the door and there was an explosion. After that, she saw a police officer fall to the ground outside. Inside, her husband Arturo grabbed his arm. He started screaming that he had been shot. A few hours after the SWAT raid, David's sister Cindy got a call from a friend. They told her to turn on the TV. L.A. County homicide detectives have taken over the shooting investigation of a Pomona SWAT officer. We continue our team coverage of this breaking news story right now with Eyewitness News reporter Mark Cota Robles. He is live on West Hermosa Drive in San Gabriel, where police have taken a suspect into custody. Mark, what's going on out there? Her mother's house was on the news. Again, these are Cindy's words as read by an actor. Without hesitation, I drove to my mother's house. Driving down a road, the roaring sounds of the helicopters grew louder as I got closer. As I arrive at the intersection, it's blocked off. There was no chance to go look for my family. I park, I walk closer to inquire from news reporters, and they tell me a police officer was shot in the back of the head as he was sitting in his patrol car. You heard that right. The first thing Cindy was told when she arrived on the scene was that a police officer had been shot in the back of the head while sitting in his patrol car. I find the commanding officer. I ask him for information, and he states that there were a two-person injury. An officer and someone in the home, an older male. I say, that's my father. Is he okay? Where is he? They said, we cannot tell you. I pleaded, I need to know. They replied, all I can say, the nearest hospital. I arrived at the nearest hospital, but was unable to see my father because he was being interviewed by investigators. Once I was able to visit my father, he says, the police shot me. Cindy was distraught and confused. She didn't understand why her parents' home had been raided by a SWAT team or how her father had been shot in the process. And the media only made the situation more cloudy. Reports varied on where and how Officer Diamond had been shot, making it impossible for Cindy to know what to believe. Authorities say veteran Pomona SWAT officer Sean Diamond never had a chance to react. The suspect, 36-year-old David Martinez, catching the SWAT team entering his San Gabriel home by surprise. Investigating officials are telling me that the SWAT officer was in fact sitting in his vehicle when he was struck by a bullet. Cindy said the one thing she knew for certain, the one thing she was entirely sure of, was that David didn't shoot an officer. According to Cindy, David respected police officers, especially because they had friends and family in the field. And she didn't trust the narrative coming from law enforcement. It didn't match what she heard from her parents, Guadalupe and Arturo. Guadalupe told her side of the story to detectives at the police department. But because Arturo had been shot, He was interviewed by investigators at the hospital. LASD detectives Jeff Cochran and Frederick Morse spoke to Arturo while he awaited surgery to repair the wound on his arm. The following is part of their recorded conversation. Hi. 
You, uh, Mr. Martinez? Yes, sir. Jeff Cochran from okay. Sheriff's Department. Hey, oh, could we just turn the TV? Thank you very much. How you feeling? Oh, man. Hearts. Yeah. yeah? I bet it does. Can I, uh, real quick, can I get your name? Arturo C. Martinez. Arturo, what, uh, what woke you up this morning? Okay, I was sleeping, and I hear uh, banging on my doors very hard, and he say, police warning, open the door. Uh -huh. And I get up, I open the door. Uh, the, uh, my house has two doors, inside door and security door. Right, like a metal security yes. door? Yeah. And then I open my first door, and when I do like that to open the security door, that's when I hear the shot. But... What initially woke you up is you heard someone banging on the door yelling police? Yes. Did they say police or anything else? I uh, say a uh, warrant or uh, something like that. That's what I heard. That's why I decided to open the door. Right. You heard police and warrant. I have so much to edit up because the, the way the police get in on my house and train my family, my daughter, I have a Down syndrome daughter, uh, my wife and me, it, it not supposed to be that way too after we open the door I don't know why he using it excess of force and I call that police brutality okay. um, first thing just so you know we're a separate agency that we investigate this okay? I do understand that's so why, that's I, why mean, I mentioned what I have okay. to mention to you guys we appreciate that yes. okay Remember that the SWAT team that targeted the Martinez household was from the Pomona Police Department. Detectives Frederick Morse and Jeff Cochran were from the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, the agency brought in to investigate the shooting. We're here basically to interview different people and to find out what yes. happened, how and why. Yeah. So that, and I'm, you know, we'll, we'll chat a little bit more, but that's what it's all, all about. Yeah. Did you... Did you see who shot at you? No. No. Did you hear a noise right at the same time you got shot? Tell me what... What I hear is just boom, boom, uh, uh, when the door opens up, and then the, bull, uh, the shot. After hearing Arturo's account of the raid, the detectives broached the subject of the fallen officer and their belief that it was Arturo's son, David, who shot him. I mean, we see, we see you've been watching TV, right? Yeah. This thing's all over the TV. Have you seen it? I, I don't see nothing. That's why I uh, barely turn it on. Oh, okay. Right. Um, well, the, an officer was shot. Okay. At your front door. My front door? Yeah. By who? David. David. I don't know. Does that surprise you? Yeah. Why? Uh, why? Why does it surprise you? I'm not saying my my son is an angel, but it surprised me that happened. There's there's a, a big shotgun right in the living room. A big shotgun. A big black shotgun. Sir, I don't know about that. There's no indication police fired their weapons at all, okay? That's me, my son shot me. That's, that's a good uh, possibility. No, 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 no. I, I, 
that can be a, a, a police evidence implant. For me? Uh, can be a police implant that uh, weapon. Well, you know what? Uh, let, uh, just uh, let me uh, tell uh, you. And then what, start, stop right there. What happens? I'm not going to talk no more. Well, what happens is I'm there's... I'm going to ask for, uh, for uh, my lawyer. Well, you're, you're not, not under you're arrest. You're not being charged. You're but, not, I'm taking uh, at face value that you're being truthful. I've been honest. And I, you know, I, and I think you are. And I've I think been honest, you're, I think you're a little set aside that when you're informed that, hey, there's a possibility that happened by your son, that's going to upset you. I understand that, sir. I really do. But the bullet come from outside, not from inside. How do you know that? You said it hit the back of your elbow. And you're, you're using When I do this to open the door, shot come from outside. Arturo Martinez was adamant that the shot came from outside the house, but he wasn't certain about much else. He didn't have a clear recollection of where David was during the raid, and he didn't see what happened to Officer Sean Diamond. His wife, Guadalupe, had a more vivid memory of the events. Here she is again, speaking with detectives from the LASD. When this is happening, where is David? was in the room with my daughter-in-law. So you're saying David was not in the living room with no, you? No, Okay. No. Um, we've got a, uh, an officer that's very seriously injured. Yes, you told me. Uh, I did tell you. I'm telling you again, too. That, that officer um, may not survive this, okay? I know that there was probably everything happened very quickly, and there's some, there may be some confusion, Okay, that's natural. But I'm telling you, that officer and your husband was not injured by anything those officers did. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yes, I see him. I see him because... Well, then you got to tell us exactly how you saw, saw it. Well, when, when my husband put the hand for open the door, they uh, make the explosion in the porch. And that's happened when the police fell on the floor. And my husband got a shot in here. That's come from the police, not from nothing else. From the police, I see him because I was there in the door. I tell you what, I, I, think, I think you're protecting your son. No, David. no, I say the truth, man. I say the truth. You know why I say the truth? I know it might hurt you to say, say what, what may have really happened. I see an outside. I see an outside. Yeah. They did it because David was not there with us. Nobody was there. Only me, my husband, and my daughter. The explosion came from outside. Why you don't believe me? According to Guadalupe, David wasn't even in the room when the explosion occurred. And she was certain she knew who was responsible for that explosion. You're telling me you didn't injure the officer. Your husband didn't injure the officer. Who injured the officer? The police. I know you'd like to believe that. <sighs> I and say the truth. I see everything. Guadalupe and Arturo's interviews both played out in a similar fashion. They told the investigators their story. They resisted the detective's theory that David shot an officer. And then they started asking questions. 
questions that would be essential to the case in the months that followed. First, they asked why. Why did the raid happen? Why their house? Why was David a target? Then their questions became more specific. Here's Arturo, once again speaking with the detectives. Can I ask you a question? Uh, how many shots happened? Well, we, what we did... We're Gina, still trying to Gina and I, Honestly, because I can answer... Gina and I left from interviewing your neighbors. Okay. Okay. Okay, and so far, the people that we talked to only heard one shot. We're gonna we're gonna sort it out still, and we have firearms experts that will be able to tell us everything. Two people were shot: Arturo Martinez and Officer Sean Diamond. But how many shots were fired? The investigation was still ongoing. Guadalupe had another question, one that could be critical to David's defense. Here she is speaking to Detective Jeff Cochran. Tell me, how's the officer uh, get get the shot? Where? Where? Well, I can't tell you. Where? I can't Well, tell you. for me, it's important to know where. In the days after the raid, questions lingered, and the two sides of the door continued to clash. The SWAT officers believed David was a murderer. David's parents believed their son was innocent. But the individual at the center of the SWAT raid had his own story to tell one that ought to shed light on what happened in the dark. So what did David Martinez see? What did he tell detectives in the hours after the shooting? Give your, your chance to talk to us, all right? So it's up to you. It's up to you. You can't, Officer, we can't, biggest, we cannot. No, but can, can you not understand this one part? Is that I'm worried that would, I, my words may be twisted. It's you two, and again, an officer was involved in this, and I'm not... We're not twisting anything. We're not going to twist any words. That's next time on Night Raid. I'll tell the You can find this entire Night Raid series wherever you get your podcasts. Night Raid is a production of Crime Story Media in partnership with E1 Entertainment. Our executive producer is Carrie Antholis. I'm Molly Miller, the host, producer, and writer of this episode. Associate producers are Brittany Bookbinder, Lexi Notabartolo, and Aaron Koronek. Audio editing by Chris Terracone. Rick Schnapp did our mix with additional audio editing by Tyler Newhouse. Music and sound design by Eldad Guetta, with Foley assistance by Elia Guetta, and scoring assistance by Nikki Hemmingson. Additional music by Half Gringa. Tonancina Sparza is our casting director. Voice actors in this episode were Ted Braun and Brisa Covarrubias. Our title track is Alimony by Half Gringa. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Night Raid. Thanks for listening.